the future of work. Today's guest is Tony Bagsby. With the, he is the owner and founder of Corgi Art House. So Tony, welcome. Hello. Yep. Love your background. I'm going to jump into the intern whisperer employer tip of the week. So as you may know, Tony, we've been sharing these tips so that employers always remember what they can how they can get better results with interns. So they do not know how to use social media for business purposes. So they're accustomed to using it for their personal use and they'll, cha-ching, cha-ching, they'll take really great pictures of themselves for selfies. They do not understand always the power of those metrics and how to make money, but there are some smart ones out there, believe me, we all know that. They are accustomed, like I said, using it for their personal use and part of an internship means that they are there to learn from you as that subject matter expert. And during that internship, they will learn how to create PR campaigns, create, prepare blog articles and other types of content, along with preparing the headlines, graphics, pictures, the text for the post and the hashtags. So to all of our listeners, just remember if you have interns working with you, they are there to learn. So Tony, welcome again. Really excited to have you here. And so Axel, you want to say hi? Hello, how are you doing, Tony? Yep. This is Axel's first time for speaking on the show. And so we are super, I'm saying for Axel, we are super excited about this. Yeah, we've had some figured out how to make it all work for us. So our show is all about education, innovation in business, and the future of industries and jobs. But I'm going to let you do the first question, Axel. Okay, awesome. So the first question for you is, share us with our listeners what, like, what your educational background is, your work history, and how you got started in the business. So I started school at a state university up in Illinois, but I wasn't really getting the education that I wanted there because I wanted to get into games. So I heard about SCAD. Savannah College of Art and Design down in Savannah and moved down there, went to SCAD. It was a great experience. That's where I started to, to learn how to make games and get into the game industry. And I learned all about GDC and made all the connections and everything. It was a great experience. And then on. what? I have a question. What is that what? acronym that you just used? GDC? The Game Developers Conference. Oh, okay. We a big conference that all and I go to every year, mm. <laughs> except for last year, and maybe. Yeah, I have not been to it. It is expensive, but it is fun. Where Where is it? San Francisco. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> How much is expensive? Uh, tickets are about two thousand dollars. Holy moly! Can I sign up as a volunteer and go for free? Yes, you can try to be a conference associate. And if you get selected, you can work to, they, they make it, they stress the point, you are going to work for your ticket. That is true. I'm fine with free. doing that. I've done it twice. It's a great experience. The guy who runs the program, Ian, is a great guy. Um, and then the only, unfortunately, they only have a few slots. So you have to be competitive to get in there. Well, I'm going to ask you to make an introduction to Ian because... Like I already have family I could stay with out there. 
And then I could go to the conference volunteer. That's what I typically do anyway, is I think is smart. I don't know about you, but I would tell you to do that too. Because when you volunteer at a conference, you can actually meet people and it's a little bit, oh, what do you do? What do you do? It's just like, I need help. Yeah, I can help you. And it's more friendly. And they're likely, my at least my experience has been that they're more likely to share their contact information and their business cards than if I was networking. And also the Conference Associates program is its own kind of networking bubble. And I found that for people who are a lot more introverted and they don't like going to all the parties and like being like the extreme extrovert, it's a good way, a really good way for introverts to network. And I think that quite a few people in the game industry are really introverts. So I'm pretty sure that is one of the big selling points. I've been interviewing all day today. And I tell you, I would bet eight out of 10 are introverted personalities. Yeah. Yeah. So after I graduated from SCAD, actually, while I was at SCAD, I was selected to work. It was like a work class that SCAD had set up with electronic arts, where I worked worked as a like a contract artist for EA. It was a little weird because it was the first we were the first group. Like they were like, hey, this is a class now. And I was it was my last quarter there. So I applied and I got in. So I did that. And then later this guy jack lou who was running the program and worked at ea tiburon down here pushed my resume onto a pile and was like hey please hire this guy so then uh, i had the interview they loved me i came down to orlando here i worked for six months as a temp artist and then you contract contractually you have to be let go three months later they were like all right we want to hire you for reels and i worked there for two years before that ended and then i found another job because of somebody i worked with at wholesale that got me hired at, or that i worked with at ea got me hired. you know don't you think that your work experience helped you be a better teacher yes and i tell students all the time that even if when i find someone who's like oh you know i want to do something do the indie thing or i want to do something small i don't want to work for a big employer i told them that like working for a few years at a big employer like ea has a lot of benefits and experience. It teaches you a lot of things. And everybody says you'll learn more in your first like six weeks on the job at a company than you did in your entire education. That is a hundred percent true. <laughs> I, I, Axel has said that to me. He said in the two weeks, he's learned more than he did in his education. Yeah. That is <laughs> now your education gets you prepared so that you're going to be able to learn that information, but when you get there, like, that's why I tell everybody, like, work at a big company for a little bit of time because it, it will definitely grow you. I agree. I agree. And, and you make connections that can help you get further jobs. You know, something else that I tell students also is I used to be a, you know, a higher ed teacher. I taught in the public school system. I know we're kind of jumping around in the conversation here, but it's all relevant. So, and that's cool. Organic. It is. It is the organic conversation. So I taught for 11 years, public high school, middle school and high school. Mm -hmm. And I switched over into teaching in higher ed. And one of the things that I would always tell, regardless of where they were, take an entry level accounting, marketing, management, economics, statistics class, because you're going to need them in whatever job you're going to do. You're either going to need to learn how to manage yourself or others or create a, a department budget. And you also need to understand the statistics side of anything that's, you know, business, how many people 
died under your care if you're in the you know hospital industry, right? Healthcare, or if you're in let's say you know nonprofit, you still have to know how many people you serve. So you don't get away from numbers is the point. So all of those basic classes are helpful, but it's really important to have a specialization for sure. So I'm gonna go back to one of the other questions here. What type of games do you enjoy playing? Because personally, I have a third person tower defense game on Steam, that's our intern pursuit game. But I also really, really love to download games on my phone. I'm not much of a console player. What, do you, so. what games do you like? I am a console player. So I'm going to come back to that tower defense thing because I have one thing to say on that. My favorite games are usually games that kind of make me think and have a little bit more strategy in how I play. I also like games that make me explore. So the Zelda series has always been a big one for me and like Zelda clone. All games that, you know, are a little bit more strategic, stealth games, or I was really big into Assassin's Creed before they revamped it into being like a big open world game. But tower defense games, you don't have to have it as a console game. You could play download games or online games and still have strategy and stealth and all of that fun stuff. That's true. But I was I was raised on the console because I had my Nintendo as a kid. So that's mm. the experience I like. I like to sit on my couch my couch with my big screen TV and play my games. That's just how I enjoy games. Uh, you're a little young for having just that one preference. How about you, Axel? I know What's that your favorite game. Yeah, did you have a favorite game when you were growing up? So my favorite game it's called uh, Strider. It's like I've heard of that. sort of like ninja. It's it's from Capcom, and I remember when I was young, I used to play that all the time on my PlayStation One. I actually still have all the games from PlayStation One that I still have. I just haven't used it because they're all kind of like scratched up, messed up. But I still have them though. It's pretty cool. You'd have to sell them, right? Throw them out if they're yeah. scratched up. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are they? They're just collecting dust. Yeah. Huh. They look pretty on the shelf that I Maybe. have. I have a favorite game. Honestly, I always like board games, but if I pick a game, I usually pick games that are solitaire. But, you know, they have teams. So I've gone through like Panda Pops, like on my phone and different things like that. And, and then I find that I'm extremely competitive. And so I don't like not winning. And then I have found that I have been spending money on games and I don't like how that's impacting my budget. So I go, oh, I have to delete the game and go, go find something else. I'm trying to wean myself off of games so I don't spend money, but I do like board games because I just like being with people. And it's not the same as, you know, obviously games that are online, but I will always pick Mahjong or solitaire games. I do like a good Mahjong. I actually am not competitive. I like collaborative games. And in fact, our secret Corgi Art House internal game project is a collaborative game. But my favorite games though would probably be Okami, Horizon Zero Dawn, and here's where we come back to this power defense, Orcs Must Die. Oh! <laughs> by Robot Entertainment. I love that game. That game is super fun to me. <laughs> Orcs must die. It's a tower defense game. Yeah, uh, I, I got that one. So Orcs, isn't that from... I'm thinking World of Warcraft. I don't think That's it's that one, but no. Um, Orcs originally made their debut oh, the Lord, in the Lord, Lord of, of the Rings. Rings. Lord of the Rings, Lord yeah. Of the Orcs, aren't they from Lord of the Rings? I mean, now they're everywhere, but yes, originally Lord of the Rings, the book. Yeah. 
Yeah. Then they got put in D and D, and then that's interesting. But you just got waves of these orcs coming at you, and it's like fast-paced action as well as like. That was third person. It's third person. I would probably like that. Now, when I made when I started having our game made, Inter Pursuits game made, I wanted it rated G, you know, or PG for everyone. I don't think killing orcs sounds like a, a G game or a PG game. What what is that ranking? Do you know? I don't. I think it's E10. Oh oh well, ten years old because it sounds pretty bloody. If it's going to be like it's cartoon level violence, like it, the, everything's very cartoon like. So when you shoot them, like they make big funny sounds and they're and they go flying off the screen, cartoon or Team Rocket style. So there is violence, but it's very cartoon level violence. Okay, okay, I understand because that's like how our game is also. Hmm. I'm gonna go and check that one out. Yeah, I'm not much for you know things that are like where you see an arm get severed and fly across the screen and stuff like that. No, that's it's not that sort of violent. <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear. All right, so favorite game? Uh, well, I think you told us that one, and you told us. Well, there was there's like three. I kind of move them around in the ranks. Okami, Horizon Zero Dawn. That game's amazing. Looking forward to the sequel. And then Orcs Must Die. Okay, but you have your own game? We have our own secret internal game project, which is okay. going to be a collaborative game, and I won't say much more than that. All right, but it has not gone out to market yet. No, it's still very, very early, but it's part of the reason I made the company skipping over some of the other questions that we had. So Corgi Yard House, why Corgi? Go ahead and pull his puppy up. Please share your screen. His puppy up? Yeah, and let everybody see and him. Bella knows why. The, the Corgi Yard House, because of my chief motivational officer, Emma Thrasu, or Amy, my Corgi. Is that mm -hmm. a Corgi? Yeah. She's part of the team. <laughs> He's gonna share his screen. it down there where the buttons are and part of the reason for that was my one of my mentors and my teachers up at SCAD told me like hey when you make some the company you should have some branding that's easy for everybody to remember and I'm like well, everybody knows I have a corgi so yeah branding Cammy's my brand she is and so she comes into How the long? office one or two days a week how long have you had your dog and did you raise her from a puppy and all of that good stuff Let's yes. let her shine. Had her for 12 years. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of dog ears right there. Yeah. And yeah. I her. She, she is a, a very protective dog of her owners. She, yeah. she thinks she is a person. She thinks she's the boss. Yeah, she does <laughs> think she is the boss. That is for sure. She'll but, listen to me, but everybody else is hierarchies. Daddy, Amy, everybody else. <laughs> yeah, not even your girlfriend. Oh, yeah, she's lower on the totem pole, too. Okay, so there's like the two humans and her and that's it. Yeah. Got it. All right, well, thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. So going back over here, what has your, tell us about Full Sail because I think that Full Sail is a very unique school. Every six weeks there is a course. And how did you get started with Full Sail? I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you know, how did you get switched over to Full Sail? What do you love about teaching? I could talk about teaching for a long time. So also is actually every four weeks, there's a new class. Oh my God, um, that is ridiculously hard to believe. 
it is it's an accelerated curriculum and a lot of people forget that it is a four-year degree in 20 months so that is a bit stressful and i say that while it is not for everyone certain students do excel in this particular learning environment i'll admit that i have had my challenges with that philosophy in the past as i've stayed there longer i do realize that for the right students it is the right path you know it is not for everybody I admit. yeah Four weeks. I did not know that. When I went for my MBA, it was a six-week program, and I thought that was accelerated learning. I, I Do you even have finals at the end of four weeks? Like, what are you teaching in four weeks that you get a final for? I mean, it's not a formalized final. There's usually like a, a final project for each class, but because it's so, it's so fast, finals, they're not the same as how it was when I grew up. But instead, we have classes late in the curriculum that are like these final classes that are really kind of like they build on top of each other. Yeah, they, they kind of those are like the real polished level classes where when you get to there, they really. I, I don't know. That sounds like that sounds really. Yeah, it's super, super fast. Then how many how many courses does a student take when they're over there? Because so, like regular college, I might take, you know, four credits. And that could be, or 12 hours. And so, you know, well, I'm sorry, 12 hours of classes, but that's like four credits, four classes, period. How does so, it there? For the most part, students take two classes a month and it's 20 months. So that's roughly 40 classes, their time there. But I know that not every term they're taking two classes. So it might be kind of more like 32, 36, I'm not sure. How many? Uh, three credits per class. And so you would carry like what four or five classes and have anywhere from 12 to 15 yeah, hours 12 to 15 credits yeah i liked my experience where i went to school the best 16 we weeks you no know, we had 10 week quarters oh so and that's better three classes a quarter every school's different i'm not going to say one is better than the other you know like i said full cell works for a certain type of student and they really excel in that environment. Yeah. So how did Full Sail do their um, classes with COVID? Were, because a lot of those classes are usually hands-on, like, you know, video production. So our particular program didn't see that much of a challenge. I will put this out there. Full Sail has an amazing student portal, which is online, and they use that for campus as well. So we were already like, pretty much raring to go. Like we had Zoom, everybody had a Zoom account already because we like to use it to record our lectures and we would also use it because our projectors, you know, projectors are a hard technology to keep up with. Some of our projectors are not that great. And since we teach shading and lighting, we need a really good projector to show off what we're trying to teach. So we actually just Zoom cast it to everybody in the room so that they can have it on their laptops and see in the fidelity. Really, it was just like a, a quick, easy transition for us during COVID. Full is actually doing really, really well in COVID. So I have found that the teaching profession as an industry is the only one that is so open and uh, willing to let you have your own business on the side. Because, you know, I was, as a public classroom teacher, there were, every teacher had a side job. Every teacher. It was either, you know, in a store or they were doing some kind of home sales or something, most of them. I, I said every, but I'm gonna say most, probably nine out of 10. What is that, is that culture the same over there at Full Sail? Because that sounds wicked fast every four weeks. It is, um, but to answer your question, uh, 
we are encouraged to either freelance or do contract work on our side. And, you know, I straight up, like, I didn't have to hide starting my own company. I straight up told all my bosses, like, I'm starting my own company. I'm going to do freelance. And they're like, okay, well, good. You're supposed to be doing freelance anyway. So it's kind of a more formalized approach to it. And it really allowed me to bring in subcontractors. Like, we, you know, I've told you that most of my staff are subcontractors. So mm-hmm. we, have jobs. we hire somebody to work for us until the job is completed. They get, I get a percentage off, off of the pay. We pay them based on the majority of the contract money that comes in. And that's kind of how we work. Part of the reason I did this was because before I started my company, you know, I was networking with Pinal and Indy Namakan and all that. And I would have people that would come to me and they'd be like, hey, I need an animator. And I'm like, well, I don't animate, but I know a guy. And so I'd recommend them, get their exchange contact information, and then nothing would happen. And so this just kind of put me in the control seat now where it's like, hey, I need an animation. And I'm like, cool, give me the job. And then I go find the animator, subcontract to him. I'm getting subcontracted from, and basically I just smoothed the whole pipeline over. So it's like now everybody's getting more jobs because I took control over the whole like infrastructural part. Yeah, that's what I do with Cat5 too. I don't know how you go. Well, let's just jump into the pool and talk about your company then. Corgi Art House, the name, it came obviously from your love for your dog. Um, And then it had a different logo. Pull up his website, please, Axel. And let's look at your new logo. I don't know if we have what it used to look like, but it's up there on the top left corner of the website. No, my old website was horrible. <laughs> I made it myself. I'm not a web designer. I can do website design, but this is the new website. It's subdued. It's tasteful. It's really playing up the fact that, you know, you are a design company now because it's definitely that wireframe. It's super, super good looking. I love it. Two thumbs up here. I'm glad you made the decision to update your website and your team, but this creature in the middle is terrifying. It looks like it's going to eat me. That is actually the Japanese lightning god, Ryzen. Holy cow. It looks scary. That's pretty cool. And that was a job done for one of our main clients, electrofly.co. They do sort of AR mobile experiences where you scan a thing and then this animation comes up on your phone and it does all these cool things, but you have to buy their product to be able to scan the thing to get the animation. That's amazing. It looks really nice. Where's that stadium? Stadium? Oh, that stadium is from a game that I made called Disc League. It was actually the first job that we made when we started the company for a client, Richard Terrell. He was making a game and he wanted me to make the environments for this sort of Tron-esque Disc League VR game. And so this is one of the stadiums I made. It was uh, meant to be a stadium that's in low orbit over the earth, but it's all like color and stylized. And we, we, had, a, we had a certain style with this game and I was really adamant on sticking to it, pushing that look. So what are the services that you provide here with your company? So we do contract art production, basically, digital art production, 3D, 3D stuff. And that can take many forms. Form that we are most pushing and most familiar with is game art for games. If you're a game company and you have a lot of art needs and you don't want to maintain a huge art staff, you can bring on a company like us to take on some of your art production that needs to be done. And we will do it for a cost 
after that, we'll produce the art and get it back to you and the form that you need. I have a lot of experience with game engines, especially Unreal and Unity. So one of the services I offer, and this is one of the services that I know a lot of people don't offer, I will do my best to actually get all of the assets game engine ready for you. That means that I've put them in the game, I've tested them, I've made sure that they're gonna work the way that you need them so that when you receive them, they're good to go. Oh, that's a really good tip there. I'm glad you told me about that. I shall also adopt that same type of service. Thank you for yeah. that with me. <laughs> because a lot of people, a lot of freelancers, they'll just give like, they'll just give their client like a Maya file. And then, then if you're working with a programming team, they may not have Maya. They're like, we work in Unity. We need something that can go in Unity. Specifically, this is a problem that has happened with Canal and with 302, where they're there are freelance artists that they hire and give them assets that they can't use. And they're like, what, what am I going to do with this file? Yeah, that's true. Now, I, I actually hadn't thought about that from the side of 3D art, but I do think about it from graphic design. And so I always say when we deliver our, our any of our files to our customers, they should all be you know packaged appropriately. So they have the AI, the PNG, JPEG, PDF, you know, all of those, the TIFF files and then you know give them a style guide so i can see the value of certainly of doing that in 3d i really appreciate that that's a really good tip why don't you scroll down the page here and show us the rest of it so if you have any favorites this is the time to ask i like this one right here with the dragon and on the, on the left side so what's the story on the dragon that's another electrofly asset the same company very, very the right can you make it bigger can you click it make it bigger so if you click this, we'll go into the about page, which we can show off later, because there is a way that we can actually view this guy in 3D from the website. <gasps> 3D, we can see it from the website. Okay, he said not yet though. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll go back and go take the tour with Tony. Okay, so Tony, can you go back? I'm impatient. <laughs> yeah, this uh, takes a minute. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so where do you wanna, you wanna explain what the center one is? That is concept art. That was for a, that was actually for the same company that was doing the, uh, the VR environment game. But mm -hmm. unfortunately it was for a job that did not end up panning out. So I paid an artist to make it and then we didn't go any further, sadly. Uh, but we do concept art and illustration for games as well. That's kind of why it's on the website to show that off. Hmm. And I guess the one on the right is the same thing I was talking about earlier. Where you yeah, that is our digital environment stuff. That looks like an amazing arena. Yeah, I had a lot of fun working on that. That one I made myself. Ooh, it looks really, really good. Yeah, because I was going to say, well, what, what of your artwork is up here? This is one. Okay, let's yeah. go down. Digital art house. And then I guess that's just your contact us page. Yeah. Anything else? And your, your partners. So where would you like us to go on your website? Next, go to the about page. Go back up. So we have these little galleries here. This one just kind of shows off the, the game space itself. And you can click the little arrows to go between the different images. Was this some kind of a hackathon or something? Nope, that was a town hall, actually. We used to do those before COVID. It looks like there's some kind of a box around you guys. Those are just screens. Oh, OK. Is that your dog? That doesn't. Yes, that's Amy hard at work. Oh my God. Yeah, I guess so. She looks kind of like she has a husky background, but she's a lot smaller in my picture here. Yeah. All right. 
And then here, this was actually an event. This was our, we used to do like a big Christmas party, like networking event, which of course we didn't do last year. Right. Stupid COVID. And then the next two are just pictures of the game space when we were first moving in, trying to figure out how it looked. Ah, gotcha. Well, you know, this is where we work out of here. And so this is where we are today. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and we'll go back to our questions here. You can go ahead and stop sharing. Oh, wait, this is pretty. Wait, no, actually, I did want to show this. This was Pompeii. This was another one I did personally. Those actually link to videos, but let's not open those up because it'll get a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. but if you scroll down even further, you'll see a couple of galleries, but let's scroll down past our cool galleries. We'll skip over those because I want to show you our Sketchfab viewer. This is pretty cool. Oh, wow. Look at that. You go down to the bottom a little bit, a little bit lower. So here you can actually open up any of these in 3D and kind of be able to see them. And at the bottom, you can skip to different ones. You can look at that T-Rex that you were seeing. He's like close to the right. This one right here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Does he have little tiny arms? He does have little tiny arms. <laughs> no. It's hard for them to play uh, cards with little tiny arms. Oh, look. Go ahead and hit play. It takes a minute. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to load, I'm pretty sure. Come on, Posasaurus. I actually thought it was playing, to be quite honest, because I heard something. There it is. That was my phone. So now he's in 3D, and it's probably going to lag because we're running a Zoom session, but, and you're recording, and you can see he's all animated. You can he move is. around in 3D. So I need some riggers. I'm going to have to go back to full sail and see who's <laughs> who wants to be a rigger. On, well, we need two. Now, if you just want to hire them short term, then I can get them for you. That is super cute. Looks like a little baby. Yeah. I like it. Well, I know that, you know, for our audio listeners, they're not going to be able to see that. But if you are an audio listener, please go to Intern Pursuits YouTube page or to our Facebook page and go to our playlist. And you'll be able to see this video and see Tony's website there. Now, the cool thing is, is that this was all done by an intern with you. And it was complete redesign of your logo along with the website. That's correct. We hired an intern through Intern Pursuit. His name was Willie. And I mean, he was just like spot on amazing. He, in you know the, the three months that we had with him, we completely redesigned this website. We redesigned our logo and our business cards. You know, we have a new color palette that we're going with. So during that, those three weeks or three months, he was able to completely redesign everything. And he did such a good job that we turned around and said, hey, you know, we want to keep you around as a subcontractor. And so every, you know, 12 weeks or so, we'll reach out and then we'll have you do updates on the website. You know, and of course, compensate him for that. Yeah. So it, turned, it did turn into a small job for him. Yeah. Uh, he got his first his first client. One of the things that I teach interns that are with me is how to create a proposal and do an invoice because many times they don't know how to do that and how even to put together a price, they, they don't know how to do those things. So I find it really helpful to uh, mentor them in that area for sure. Are there any industries that you think are the best ones to go after in the game industry? Personally, I do think it's either healthcare or defense, you know, government, any of those. 
So simulation is good if you can break into that. We've been unable to break into that yet. We've actually got our sights set on trying to break into the theme park industry a little bit here in Orlando. So also in simulation, you can break into healthcare. Canal and I run an event that we are, we're trying to do the next version of this event, which was the Mega Health Jam. We did that, I think 2018. And you know, we planned to do it in 2020, but that didn't happen. No, everything stopped in 2020. So um, once this is over, I'm sure Kanal and I, I will get back on to doing the next Mega Health Jam, but it's meant to be a synthesis between the health industry and the experience industry here that we have, game, experience development, 3D art, and all of that. So there is something coming up. It's called the Serious Play Conference, and it's next month. I volunteered at that last year. I'm volunteering at it again this year. My track that I am moderating uh, this year is in healthcare. So when I go and I do those types of things, that's how I go after making some introductions of myself and what my company can do and look for those places where I can get some, some type of contract work with the organization or come in either as a subprime to a larger company. And for our listeners that don't know what a prime is, that's the person that got the contract and then they might subcontract out additional work that they need to have done. And I find that to be a really great way to connect with other people for sure. Let's see, so why don't you jump over to 10 and 11, Axel, you take those questions. Okay. so. The question says, what is the hardest part about having your own business? Right now it's time. I still have a full-time job. So being able to manage all the day-to-day stuff that I need to do to keep the company moving forward and still maintain my my full-time job, that balance of work, life, and other work balance is something that is a day-to-day struggle. Mm. Yeah, you're preaching to every entrepreneur that's out there. And the follow-up question is, what is like your favorite like part of like having your own business? So the whole point of the Courtyard House has enabled me to continue making art. Teaching is great. It, you know, is a great way to establish mentorship and it actually helps, helps help me grow a lot as a person, as an artist. It continue, you know, it helps me to continue to push my boundaries in certain ways, but there's not a lot of opportunity to create. And at my core, I've always been an artist first. So the whole point of the company for me is to enable opportunities for me to continue making art that I find fulfilling. And so before I started doing this, I was feeling a little stagnated. You know, I wasn't feeling as fulfilled as I wanted to be. So I made the company and, you know, we started getting jobs where we can do cool things like Pompeii or the Electrofly experiences or other projects that I end up doing with Canal and and company where I just get to be an artist again. And that's, that's what I really love about it is being able to sit down and make some art that, you know, is going to be out there that people are going to see. I'm, I'm going to flip the question here on Axel. Axel, you've been for two weeks learning how to create content and I'm, you're going to end up getting to teach one of the new interns what you've done. So what do you think is going to be the best thing and the hardest thing about teaching somebody how to do what what it is that you're doing right now? Um, I think the hardest thing right now is Canva. That was one of the hardest things that I've learned so far this past week was learning how to do the posts and stuff like that. 
it took me a couple hours, but now I'm getting used to it now of doing the um polls and stuff for, for the company. I don't think it's Canva that's so hard. I think that's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the, the hardest part is doing good research on it, on whatever the topics are and creating the content and then building the posts around it. Like I, I think the content creation, whether it's a blog article or a white paper, something like that, that's harder, I think, than creating content. I don't know. But it's all about teaching people stuff and learning it. So do you like being a teacher, Tony? I do. It was something I did not set out to do, but it, I kind of found my way in because, again, as I mentioned, a friend of mine that I worked with, he was my art director at EA, and I loved working at EA, but, you know, they lay a lot of people off, and that happened to me. It happens to a lot of people, and so it had happened to my friend before, and he ended up working at Wholesale. He brought me in, and so it was something that took me a bit to get into learning to be a good teacher. And, you know, I'm someone who I kind of strive to always be better at whatever it is I'm doing. So even though I didn't set out to be teaching, I spent a lot of time trying to learn about education and I did grow into the role. I felt I even, I actually did a talk about how to take game gamification systems to improve the way that we're handling education. And so it uses like a self-directed student experience to, and game game systems to keep the student moving forward yeah. in their own capacity. I was a big believer in student-driven education instead of yeah. uh, teacher-driven. I, I am with you on that. When I was teaching seventh grade in the projects in Seminole County, one of the things that I went and did is I created my own play money and I would incentivize the students. It's because I went to a workshop and it was how to bring economics into the classroom. I took it to heart and I was teaching English. So it was even harder, you know, the class that nobody ever seemed to like to do. And as I was in that class, I realized I had students that were not coming to class on time. They weren't seated, they weren't prepared. So I made play money and I would give the play money out to the students. If they were seated before the bell rang, if they came with something to write on and had paper, pencil, pen, I don't care, you know, something to write with, something to write on. And then they're seventh graders and all they did was touch each other and push the desks and stuff. They said, you cannot, you know, bother your neighbor. And then the last thing was if they caught me making a mistake when I was doing any type of presentation or, or lecturing, if they could catch my mistakes, whether it was on the board or I was speaking, I felt like they would be engaged and they got money. So every Friday was bank day. They'd come in, they had the option to either put their money into the bank. And if they did, you know, they could save it up and then they could exchange one F for an A on any big test that they had taken. And that was like, that had to teach them some discipline for sure, because these were not kids that were disciplined, self-disciplined. And they also could go and buy stuff. So I had a big treasure chest in the room and they could buy like the big movie cutouts, you know, Edward Scissorhands at the time, or they could buy movie posters or just things like that. The classes would rotate every six weeks. So my first period could move to second period, third period, fourth. And they had the option to also buy a pass where they could just roam the hall for five minutes, but had to come back. They could not get in trouble. They could not pull fire alarms. You have to be very specific with these kids. 
or they could buy a pass to be the first one in the lunch line, which was a really big deal, or the first one on a bus. That's a big deal. Yeah. And what was really funny to me is within, uh, it was 10 weeks, my play money got street value and they were actually buying it. People were buying it so they could get, you know, manipulate the system a little bit. They wanted to be the first uh, line. But uh, I want to put out there, I am definitely not anti-teacher, even though I'm pro stu uh, student self-driven. That's very important. I do believe in teachers. I just believe that we need to update our systems quite a lot. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, because we're always like, why don't they pay attention? It's because we're telling them where to go, when to learn, who to learn with, how to learn. Like, that's the problem. But it's teachers not, are a great resource. We just need to evolve what they do. Yeah, because, you know, we in America, we have typical teaching is just one way. It's one directional. It's just mm -hmm. be the person that sends, pushes information out. We already know that real teaching is over here with Axel, yeah. like I'm smacking him on his arm, but making him learn how to do it and then having them teach somebody else that is truly real learning there because right. learning also means you fail, you fail, you fail. You know, how many times do you fail until you finally learn? Hopefully well, it's you. And the thing about self-directed learning is a student can go out and get any information that they need now. The internet is at the touch of everyone's fingertips. We don't need to tell them information. We need to guide them to it. A true teacher, I think, in this day and age should be a mentor, not a, I stand up in the room and I tell you all the things that you need to know. A facilitator, for sure. Yes. That facilitates. We need them. to move away from facilitation. Thank you for that word. I'm going to use that more and more towards mentorship, which is one of the things we do at intern, at, uh, with our interns from Intern Pursuit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that little shout out. So we're gonna take a few seconds to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. So give us a minute here, folks. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to our show. So over here, Axel, oh. what's our show all about? Well, it's all about Intern Pursuit. Ooh, he, he, I, I caught him off guard. <laughs> Internships and, and mentoring. mentoring. Yeah, and the future of work. So we're going to go to the future of work first. What do you think the future of the game industry looks like? Personally, I think it's going to be augmented reality, virtual reality. I think we're going to be like Star Trek, beam me up and go someplace else. It's all going to be things that sci-fi that we see now, but even beyond that. So I think augmented reality is really going to be a push once Magic Leap and Microsoft figure out how to make it work a little bit better. But I'm looking for the day that I have my Tony Stark Iron Man computer where it's 3D and I can just do Maya like out like this instead of having to have a desk and a mouse and like this thing and you can't see it, but it's a Wacom stylus and all these tools. I would love to just be able to be like, oh, I can just, okay. And video games will be the same way. You won't have to have like a controller. You will be able to like actually manipulate things. You know what I've seen now, this is, I think it was probably, I don't know, six years ago, they had a, and it was in Japan, I believe one of the, the Asian countries, Japan, China and somewhere in there. And they had a, a keyboard that unrolled 
And then they had three, it almost looked like three little pins and it made a little like teepee and you could use that and it created some type of an image of what was your screen would look like. And I was going, holy cow, that was amazing <laughs> because, you know, I could carry it all in, in like a, an eyeglass case and yeah. it even, but yet it could make it full, you know, full size. And that screen was then something that I could actually like a hologram, be able to, you know, manipulate like what you're just, you're describing in a Tony Stark movie. Yeah. I totally think it's going to be like more like that, but I think it'll be, be even more immersive where we're actually in it. Yes. And so that's the big excitement behind VR. There's a lot of people that are excited about first person experiences in VR. Motion sickness is a huge problem with that. I get notoriously motion sick, except for on a boat weirdly, but that's because I've have been on a boat every weekend from the age of like six months until like 26 but parents like voting when i was a kid but yeah motion sickness is a huge problem in a first person experience i'm much more interested in what you can do with third person experiences i've recently been playing the game moss where you get to play this like cute little mouse that moves around and he like sign languages you it's very so are you really learning sign language no I, I, they only tell you two of the things he says, but he talks to you in sign language, which is cute. So there's a voice when he talks? No, he oh. just sign, signs you. I'm, I want to go look this game up. Tell me how to spell it, please. M-O-S-S. Moss. Okay, I'm going to go look at it. Is it on Steam? I don't think, I don't know if it's on Steam. It's at Oculus. It's a VR game. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. It's probably not. So any other thoughts? What do you think the future of the game industry would look like? I'm putting you on the spot yeah. here, buddy. So I think it would be more VR, like you said, more VR, more virtual reality, bringing pretty much our, like bringing a lot of audience into the you know, in-game world, which I think is very interesting because like whatever like action you move, the, the um, character moves as well. So it's like, what they do in like movies you know how like in movies as the matrix doing like with the athletes what they use when they when they wear all that cgi gear i feel like it'll be more like that where you mm -hmm. literally have to wear, wear like some sort of body armor to be able to like play like the character i feel like it'll be more like that so that's why i think it'll be more ar because when you do vr it closes you off from the real world ar is the video game comes in and it's on top of our world Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. so, yeah. So then what is the um, difference between AR and VR? So with AR, you don't, because when you put on a VR headset, you can't see the world around. You. AR, mm -hmm. there's only, what I'm talking about is like the HoloLens, where you put it on and the 3D model is there, but the glass is clear and I can see the world around me. It's just oh. these little robots. There's one game where these little robots appear and you can shoot them by like doing this. But they're they're in the room. Like you can still see the room. I can still see my dog, so I don't trip over her. And that's augmented reality. That's right? augmented reality. Yeah. Uh, Should make sure our listeners know what AR means. Yeah. Right now, most of the successful AR is actually done with your phone, like Pokemon, where you have the camera on and you can interact with things that show up on the phone. That's what we do with Electrofly and a lot of brand XR experiences. But the hope and dream is to get the HoloLens working. And the the spell this word hollow what? Hollow H A L O. Oh, hologram. Okay. A hollow. Yeah, and then lens as like a camera lens. 
I think, well, what do you consider the matrix? Because the matrix to me is like what it is. Like, you know, we're, we're plugged into something. We may be in a chair, but it's plugged into our brain and we get put into that place. I, I'm, I am skeptical about plugging anything into my nervous system. <laughs> so I agree. I go there. But uh, do I think that it, I absolutely believe it's going on without us knowing about it? I'm pretty, I'm, I, I would bet my life on that one. Because I think that where what happens in the real world is when people put something out there in science fiction, then the the governments or whoever it is that's you know trying to get stuff to happen, they've already gone. Well, let's make this happen and see how it works. So right or wrong, I think that that kind of stuff does happen. Because I remember when it was a face off, and then all of a sudden there were like face transplants happening, you know. And I'm going, I I am confident it is happening. Anyway, I know we're getting to the end of our show, but that was a fun conversation for sure. So what does it look like for an intern to work with you? Because you had also a project manager, you've got some new people coming in to work with you now. So what would a project manager do with you? A project manager is, I want them to do all the stuff that I, I have to do and I don't want to do. <laughs> Well, hopefully that's not too deterring because they still- well, I want to make art. And so things that take me away from that is what I want them to do. So that has to do with a lot of interacting with other team members, kind of being a little bit of a manager, keeping track of my subcontractors and also interfacing with clients because uh, interfacing with clients is a thing that takes up a lot of my time and training clients to have a good client art house relationship is something that is a big thing that we do as well. It's funny, a lot of Canal is kind of like been working with Canal and he said, yeah, one of the things we always have to do is train our clients on how to be good clients. That is true. That is true. Yep. I have, uh, I have to make to somebody when we finish with this show and follow up with her and say, okay, so are we going to do business together or not? So doing task management, attending meetings, working with clients, working with the artists, doing that sort of thing is what I tend to focus my project managers on. We're also hopefully going to be looking into a marketing intern so that we can improve our social media presence and go out there and find more good clients. Uh, what is the best mentoring advice that you have received or you want to share? It can be your advice and you want to share with our audience or the best advice you've received and you still want to share. So I'm going to get a roundabout way to this question because we didn't talk about my time at EA. And I know oh. that was one of the questions on the list. So first off, I enjoyed my time at EA. I learned a lot and I grew a lot from it. And I met one of my favorite mentors there. I would say that I have three mentors. Two of them are some of my teachers from SCAD. And one of them was a environment artist that I worked with at EA. His name was Ross. And one of the things that he taught me was to ask questions. A lot of junior artists, a lot of junior, what junior employees, let's just say that, don't want to ask questions because they're afraid it will make them look stupid. And this was one thing he taught me right away. And he taught me it by trying to not work with me. Oh, <laughs> that's smart. Well, he wanted someone who had three years experience to join his team. And I got moved from another team to his team. And I had one year under my belt at this point. I had only been working at EA for a single year. And he was, he was a little mad about it. So he purposely wrote documentation that was half done. <laughs> and so uh, fortunately for him, when I get stuck, I'm like, you're, you're, you're the guy I'm supposed to ask questions to. If I'm stuck, 
you need to help me. And so every time I was stuck, I just walk over to him and be like, what do I do? This is what I was doing. And now what do I do? And he would just tell me. And then I worked with him for like a full year and about six months in or something, he told me about his whole master plan and how I wasn't supposed to actually succeed at the job because he was going to use that to be like, see, I need someone who's way better than this guy. And then he told me that he was blown away because I blew all of his expectations out of the water. And, you know, I was doing the things that he wanted a senior person to do because I would just go over and be like, Ross, I'm stuck. What do I do here? And I'm like, you're, you're my boss. You're the guy who he's been working in games also since like the eighties. This guy was so cool, but he would just, you know, tell me and I had a great relationship with him. That was actually the saddest thing about leaving EA was that I didn't get to work with him anymore. Oh, that is sad. So it really helped him to be a better mentor also. Yes. It helped me. I learned that like, and you know, it's, it's being a teacher and now a lawyer has only reinforced this. If you're stuck, ask a question. Don't pretend like you know what you're doing if you don't, because nobody cares if you don't know anything. They care mm. if you're too stubborn to know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they have to keep, I know if I have to keep explaining how to do something over and over again, I'm going, okay, there's, there's something that's missing here. <laughs> we have to figure out what it is. Yeah. Oh, and also take good notes. Oh my God. Yeah. Take good notes. Yeah. Especially when you're new at something, have a notebook and write stuff down. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all good pieces of information. And I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that our listeners. Well, how can our listeners contact you? Tell us the website. You might want to spell it out. And then what social channels are you guys active on and email, phone number, whatever you want to share. So we are, our website is the Corey Art House and all of our information is going to be on there. It's C-O-R-G-I and then Art, A-R-T. I'm, I'm not good at English or spelling. Uh, H-O-U-S-E, house. H-O-U-S-E dot com. Corgi Art House. One word, no spaces, nothing fancy. We're we're on Facebook. Our Facebook is definitely out of date. We are not currently on any other social media channels. That is going to be our next step is to get on definitely Instagram. I want to be on Instagram. We do have a YouTube channel, Corgi Art House on YouTube. And you can see a couple of our products on there as well. We're, that's going to be something we're going to work on as well. YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, I definitely want to improve. Maybe Twitter, if someone can persuade me to deal with the evils that are Twitter. That's not that bad. It really isn't that bad. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. And then, oh, contact. Did you want to, do you have an info at or anything like that email? Yes. So there are two emails. One is my name, Tony at Corgi Art House. We have Corgi Art House at Gmail. And we also have project manager email, which I don't remember the email to right now. That's okay. You later. They can go to your website and they can still find you. Yes. All that information is, gonna, is on the website.
to say thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our production team. And that's going to be over here, this fine gentleman, Axel Aponte, associate producer. Video and auditing, editing is by Steve Neese, who is a Full Sail graduate, and also Nala Ellie, who is from UCF, and Berkeley Walgamot. She is new and she's from UCF. For any employers, please visit Intern Pursuit at www.internpursuit.tech to learn how you can get matched with great, amazing intern talent. And thank you for listening and supporting our show. We look forward to having our next guest. And thank you, Tony, for being such a great guest. Yeah, thank you.